Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. A lot of news this week, right, Ross? There's been a, a lot of announcements. Uh, we had events at Facebook and, and Apple, so we'll cover some of the announcements there. We've had some uh, uh, other announcements that we want to hit on, but a, a very busy week. Um, and, and some of the news we probably won't get to, but obviously uh, we saw NVIDIA making a, a, an acquisition move for ARM, the, one of the biggest, the, the biggest really semiconductor acquisition in, in history and, and really a uh, very influential acquisition taking place. Uh, you've got, uh, it seems like hourly TikTok news. <laughs> um, we had the Commerce Department today announcing bans on TikTok and, uh, TikTok and WeChat. So if you haven't downloaded them yet, make sure you've got them on your phone. And um, but uh, it's going to be a like a crazy aftermarket for iPhones with Fortnite and and WeChat on exactly them, so, yeah that's yeah. Exa- exactly like we saw <laughs> phones with Fortnite selling for significant premiums on secondary markets like eBay and now you're going to have people buying used iPhones just so they can get a, an outdated uh, copy of of WeChat and and um, and TikTok so it'd be interesting to watch. Uh, in, in Apple news we saw a number of announcements at their uh, Time Flies event as you would guess and as you expected that they announced a series of uh, of new watches. They introduced the Series 6 at $399, the Watch SE at $279, and they announced also that they were keeping Series 3 at, uh, available at $199. Uh, they had some iPad announcements, no phone announcements, notably, so probably some uh, phone announcements yet to come, and I think that's an interesting strategy and something that I, that I would have expected in a kind of post-pandemic world when everything is virtual. Uh, why not break it up into micro events? You're not forcing everyone to, to flock to a campus to attend the event live. And so you can spread the announcements out. I think the other oh, thing... Also, there have been discussions about how there might have been some delays uh, in terms of uh, Apple being ready to ship. So that may have affected it as well. Yeah, and, they, and they're trying to do the announcements very close to when they make the product available. Obviously, right. com- companies like Apple have to have millions of units ready to go uh, in the days following a major announcement. And this is something we actually talked about, those delays. We've been talking about that on the podcast all year. Mm-hmm. You know, The design cycle for, for these devices was already extremely tight. Uh, they often require engineers traveling to the manufacturing facilities and spending weeks on site, ensuring that the, the tooling is right and all of uh, everything is set, ready to go for mass production. Much harder to do when you can't travel into the country uh, and you can't send an engineer from California to, to China, for example. So I'm not surprised by the uh, by the delays. And um, so, but but you know, potentially a win here for for Apple and being able to uh, control more of the news cycle for an extended period of time and, and allowing this event to really focus just on the uh the, the watch and the, the announcements of you know the ipad and and um that so what were your some of your thoughts ross from the announcements that we saw 
Well, you know, it's funny on, on the watch, sometimes the simplest feature upgrades are the most compelling. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the feature upgrades on the watch is simply that it's brighter uh, so that it's much easier to see in daylight, which uh, has been an issue with, with a lot of these uh, uh, smart watches uh, and something that, you know, good old analog watches have had is something of a competitive advantage. Uh, the other big new feature was really the uh, uh, pulse oximeter uh, being able to test blood oxygen levels, which has been uh, something that has been in demand uh, during the pandemic era. But uh, I think in many ways, the new uh, Series 6 was overshadowed a bit by this new Apple Watch SE, uh, which I think is kind of a milestone in the development of the smartwatch market that Apple now sees the market broad enough that they can really start diversifying into this uh, lower end product, this more value driven product to go more mainstream. And it's, uh, I believe, $120 uh, difference between the Series 6 and the SE. Uh, of course, SE, they kind of inherit that sub-brand from, from the iPhone. Uh, and the iPhone SE has been uh, very well received both in the market and critically. And it seems that there's even less compromise involved in the Apple Watch uh, SE. Certainly just looking at it at a, at a distance, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell it's anything different, unlike uh, with the iPhone SE, which has a significantly smaller screen, looks more like a product uh, that Apple might have shipped a few years ago, as opposed to uh, the flagships that they ship today. So, so uh, this is a, a market where Apple has really established an early lead, uh, and they are just uh, they, you know they've kept up the pressure through feature upgrades, and and now they're stepping it up even more by trying to hit more mainstream price points. Well, and I think what we've talked about for many years on this podcast is the shift that they made several years ago from making the watch a productivity device really focused on apps and connectivity right. to the to the phone and making it more of a of a health device. And I think this is really the, the Trojan horse to pushing Apple into into healthcare and health services. So the, the new sensors that they released make a lot of sense. Um, and, and just fitness broadly, we saw uh, also the launch of their Fitness Plus service and the launch of their Apple One bundle, which we'll get into, but uh, clearly pushing further into that fitness space. So having some of those um, those fitness aspects of it together with the, the healthcare really, I think, are the, uh, the cornerstone for what they want the Apple Watch to represent as part of their portfolio. Uh, we saw them introduce an always-on altimeter so you can imagine that being right. useful for for fitness activities, sure, uh, and and other things like that. So um, I, I think you're going to continue to see them try to expand the health and fitness aspects of the device. And so coming out with multi-tier pricing and, and having different options to try to expand the market is uh, you, you know key. I think if you look at Apple's historical business model, it was build premium product, build premium hardware, and drive uh, market share through premium hardware. Now you see them uh, recognizing that services can be a, a key component of their, their business model and 
when services are your, your driving business model, then you really want wide accessibility to those, uh, to those markets and to those services. And so you see them trying to extend the market any way they can, even at, at uh, lower price points uh, without compromising too much the, the Apple aesthetics and Apple you know, quality that they have uh, long been known for. Yeah, we, we've definitely seen that with the iPad, you know, look at the price points of the iPad and at least the baseline iPad. And uh, that, Sean, I think is a good argument why we may not see, uh, say, Apple Silicon-based Macs uh, get down to the price points that we've seen uh, for iPads, even though now you're looking at a lot of the same components being shared uh, across device families because the iPad is more of a content consumption device. So if they can get that out there at around $300, you know, that is a great platform for Apple services. Uh, and the watch, of course, as you noted, really the uh, tiny launch pad for Apple Fitness plus a new subscription service that uh, they're putting a, a whole bunch of uh, workout video content behind. Uh, really looking to grab a lot of the value generation uh, behind uh, the Peloton uh, service, but without having to purchase this one type of uh, and one brand of bicycle or treadmill, uh, where they have more flexibility, say with a, with a music service or a video service, uh, they've just been a lot more aggressive about partnering with third parties than they ever would have been in the past, uh, getting Apple TV Plus on Samsung TVs and now Vizio TVs and, and Roku boxes uh, uh, and, and getting Apple Music on Alexa devices, you know, instead of its own $300, you know, HomePod as an exclusive option. Well, and, and I think they saw other companies really entering into some of these service categories that they were offering and, and finding some early success. And we saw this week that Amazon extended into podcasts. Well, they don't have quite the coverage that Apple does. That has for a long time been a, a, a key area for Apple. And, and now you've got others entering that space and you've got uh, those podcasts obviously showing up on all of the, the Echo devices that are scattered throughout uh, homes these days. And so uh, the need to have these services on more devices is, is key to their success. Uh, as you as you noted, Apple launched uh, Fitness Plus. They also announced their Apple One bundle, which launches uh, a, a discount on the services, essentially between uh, $30 and between $15 and $30 a month. And that will give you access to music, TV Plus, Arcade, iCloud Storage, Fitness Plus, News Plus. It it feels a lot like uh, Prime in many ways. Minus yeah, without without the free shipping. Right, without yeah, the free shipping. Yeah, yep. Uh, but uh, allows them to compete with um, Amazon head to head in some of those content areas and and others that are uh, obviously entering that space or or have strongholds in those markets. Yeah, it's interesting to see where the sweet spot will net out uh, in those offerings. Uh, you know, if, if you're purchasing on a, on a family plan, uh, the $20 per month option seems, you know, like, like a, a pretty, pretty sweet spot, uh, you know, pre pretty good uh, deal. Uh, if you're going to be adopting these services, maybe a little light on the cloud storage, but Apple has traditionally not been very aggressive uh, in terms of giving away cloud storage or 
quotas for cloud storage. Uh, $30 gets you news, which uh, news plus, which probably a lot of people wouldn't put much of a premium on, uh, and fitness plus. So that's really what uh, gets you into the $30 tier. Uh, and uh, without going too deep into all of the services, it's um, it, it it does seem like kind of a big ask, you know, thirty dollars a month. Uh, you know, you may you may be getting a lot, but it's it's sort of where Apple has license to uh, make make that kind of proposition to its affluent customer base. You know, you're subscribing to several of my services already. Uh, you know, you have an Apple Watch already. Why not take full advantage of it? Uh, but you know you're gonna be charging probably a lot more than Netflix or Spotify or any of these individual services could ask of you. And that, and that of course, helps freeze out those competitors just in terms of a, a, a share of spend. Yeah, and, and you have talked about on the podcast in the past, the subscription fatigue that many households are feeling and will feel with having to pay a, a series of you know, $9.99 to, to $15.99 monthly fees and being able to consolidate that around an Apple experience might be appealing to, uh, to many. Obviously, Peloton responded to the uh, Apple announcements. They had a tweet welcoming them. And, and uh, I think the term they used was uh, friendly competition, that they always are, uh, uh, they, yes. they like DNA, friendly competition. It's in their and, DNA. It's yeah, in their DNA. Fr friendly competition is in their DNA. Well, yeah. you know, I watched Apple for many years, I wouldn't necessarily call them friendly competitors. <laughs> uh, so, well, you know, it was also reminiscent of uh, an ad that Apple took out uh, welcoming IBM to the PC market many years ago. And, uh, you know, for many, many years, uh, that was viewed as uh, a, a real uh, arrogant, uh, you know, thing that backfired on them because, of right. course, uh, for many years, Apple struggled competing with IBM. But, uh, hey, Look at it today, right? Which company is still in the PC market, and which company has a a market cap that's twenty x uh, the the other ones? So uh, yeah, yeah. I I still think it will be a, definitely a shot across the bow for Peloton and for for all gyms, especially now mm -hmm. where many individual gym uh, users are are doing things virtually. Right. A, a nice potential opportunity for Apple to really. Carve its, carve its way out there. And, and it's one of the things that I think could actually stay even post-pandemic. I think there, sure. there is an appetite for, for virtual workouts that might uh, continue to be a viable marketplace. Peloton has, has proven the out that use case scenario, Absolutely. specifically around uh, you, you, you know, spin and cycling, but um, we could see others you know, yeah. try, try some things out there too. Sure. And, and, you know, we can talk about competition with uh, Peloton and Spotify and, you know, other uh, companies that have significant revenue streams, but man, this, this really, I, I think is going to put the hurt on a lot of these smaller independent uh, fitness subscription apps that, that were in the app store. Uh, it's it's going to be very tough, I think, for them to, to compete. So. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, now let's shift to uh, Facebook. Uh, we saw a slew of announcements from Facebook this week. They held their all virtual, of course, Facebook Connect conference. And uh, some of the most notable announcements came in the AR slash VR space, kind of mixed reality, if you will. They announced the Oculus Quest 2 
it will start at uh, 299 instead of uh, 399, which which had been the price. It's a lighter design. They quote, the Oculus Quest SE. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it's a it's a step up. It's a big step up. Well, they quote yeah. uh, as you just highlighted, 50% better resolution, 90 hertz refresh rates, up to 256 gigabytes of storage. It's coming next month, October 13th. Um, we saw a, a lot of other announcements around Oculus. They unveiled Oculus Move. So speaking about fitness, uh, they have a, are building in a fitness tracking feature, that, which will come to Quest later in the year, help track calories burned across any app when mm. in-game overlays. So you can see that information while you're, you're involved in the game. Um, we saw... Um, Oh, you know, we saw rumors also this week that uh, Facebook will be, I guess not rumors, but announcements that Facebook is partnering with Ray-Ban to come out with smart glasses. Those are uh, planned to launch next year. So uh, in this, uh, now while those don't appear to be AR glasses, there's been a, clearly a lot of announcements in this, uh, this AR space. And then the Oculus Quest announcement being the, really the, the hallmark for that announcement. Uh, it's it's clear that this is a space that app uh, excuse me that Facebook is very dedicated to thinking about the future of interactions, the future of of mixed reality, both virtual reality and and augmented reality. Uh, eventually, you know, they do have this project Aria that is working on a, a number of things, most notably AR, mm -hmm. and likely to. We'll probably see AR glasses from them in in the coming years uh, in that space. So it's it's definitely an area that uh, has long been of interest to Facebook. Oh well, absolutely. You know, this uh, event used to be called Oculus uh, Connect, and uh, now they are taking more ownership of it with the with the parent brand, um, the Quest Two. So you know, before. O uh, Oculus had the, the Quest, which was sort of the higher end standalone uh, headset, and the Go, which was the lower end. They discontinued the Go uh, earlier this year, and now uh, the Quest 2 offers uh, better realism, better, uh, you know, better experience uh, at, at a lower price. So uh, they're hitting right in between where those two products were <clears throat> in terms of pricing uh, with, this, uh, with this new headset. It's uh, it's been interesting to look at the uh, the Oculus events in the past because they would be a whole bunch of proclamations about how the future is going, you know, how VR and AR play out as kind of this future way we live our lives, and then there would be all of these games, you know, basically because that's where the platform is today, uh, and uh, we're we're going to be seeing, you know, of course, a lot of that for the Quest too as well, but. Uh, the other, I think, interesting thing was that uh, Facebook announced that it is getting rid of the Rift. Uh, you know, it's, it's paring down the Rift. Uh, this was the first uh, Oculus uh, headset. Uh, it required a PC uh, to, to function. Uh, they are still going to allow folks to connect the Quest 2 to a PC for an even more, you know, graphics-intensive uh, experience, but but uh, Facebook clearly believes the, the future of VR and AR is a standalone uh, experience, a non-tethered experience. We've seen a number of players start to 
look at uh, cellular connected and 5G connected uh, headsets. And the other thing I thought was interesting uh, was uh, in a follow-up interview with uh, Zuckerberg, how he talked about how they're optimizing this experience for uh, social uh, connections and how he didn't want to just have a uh, referencing some of the experience of the original Google Glass, you know, an Apple Watch, you know, in, in front of your face, basically that level of information, uh, how he really wanted to have that notion of presence. So that should really be the watchword as we, uh, as we look at new uh, VR and AR products uh, coming out of, uh, com coming out of uh, Facebook. Well, we saw, we saw a couple of years ago that they had announced uh, Oculus for Business. We saw this week that... Uh, the virtual uh, office, like yeah, Infinite they, Office or something. They, they introduced the Infinite Office, right. which uh, is essentially a virtual space for everyone who's working from home. Um, we also saw this week that they, they announced Messenger and Portal will both support third-party AR effects mm -hmm. starting next year. So they are committed to, to your point, Ross, of using AR and VR to bring together communities. And that's you know, really ultimately what Facebook is trying to do is, is sure. build out these committed communities. Uh, we saw that they partnered with New York Times this week and announced right. a, a multi-year partnership to co-develop AR uh, filters and effects for Instagram. So help users really contextualize New York Times stories. And, and we've seen New York Times do some experiments in that AR space as well. And, and uh, I think that's one of the great applications of, of VR is being able to live in the story, to, to uh, take place in the story. I saw some great VR coverage a couple of years ago where they went into refugee camps and they were showing what it was like to be in a refugee camp and actually physically feel like you were in the space was mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. just a much more immersive experience. And sure. uh, I saw some uh, some documentary work around uh, what it's like to be on death row and f to do that in a VR setting where you feel like you're in the the cell and uh, is a very different feeling than just reading about it. So. Uh, you know, Facebook is very committed to building out AR and, and VR features in all of their, you know, platform settings, if you will, not just uh, just within the stand, what was really standalone gaming experience, but also to build out uh, the infinite office, to build out messaging platforms that, that uh, help. So there's a lot of commitment there and probably a lot more we will see in the, in the coming years. And, and what is a, uh, may sound like a small change, but has big implications. You're going to need a, a Facebook uh, ID. That's uh, right, in order yes. To, to use the Oculus. So. Yeah, Pro probably not too surprising, right? I mean, it, uh, uh, I think that's probably the constant challenge that, that Facebook faces internally is uh, how much do we tie these new services to our, to our you know, for lack of a better term, legacy platform. Um, and do we do we build these out as separate identities or, or not? Um, I did see a, kind of a cool announcement from Facebook this week that they are allowing small business owners to manage their uh, their sites across all of the Facebook applications within mm. a single interface. So that's that's kind of a nice feature for small business owners. They don't have to go separately to Instagram, Facebook, and 
uh, but can manage it all from a, a single interface. And, and obviously, in combating some of their antitrust concerns, Facebook has been doing all that they can to integrate. Weave things together as, yes. as tightly as possible. That's yes. right. Make it make right. it very difficult to, to break it apart. But, um, uh, you know, fa- Facebook is reticent to uh, to build out some of these newer platforms at the cost of Facebook itself, at the cost of the, the original Facebook platform. Uh, but, you know, Ross, maybe we'll all be on campus. Uh, we'll, we'll use the, <laughs> maybe a campus uh, connection will be uh, successful, what we talked about in last week's episode, right. and that will drive a whole new set of Back users to, to, to Facebook. Sure. In uh, a little f- last news, we had a lot of telecom news this week. We saw that uh, AT&T is exploring subsidizing your monthly, uh, your your monthly cost, your monthly bill using advertising. We saw Verizon move into the uh, prepayment world, and we saw a new phone from LG. Uh, it, it's you know it's. We were talking a little bit about this as it relates to what Apple will bring out. We've seen a slew of devices recently from Microsoft, obviously from Samsung and and now from LG that take advantage of a second screen. The LG announced the wing. Uh, As Ross, as you pointed out, there are some review units floating around out there. So they're probably getting close to shipping. It's a a smartphone with a 6.8 inch main screen that then twists horizontally, moves from the vertical uh, orientation to the horizontal orientation to to un- unveil, uncover a 3.9-inch display uh, underneath. underneath it. They haven't released yeah. uh, any information about uh, when it will be available or the price at which it will be available. We can only presume that it probably will come in at, at least uh, $1,500, but... Oh, really? Oh, I don't know. You, you think say. we'll... Well, I mean, you... I, I mean, there, so there, there is a fair amount of engineering, you know, in that hinge. Uh, so, uh, you know, just so if you haven't gotten a clear visual of it, basically, the front screen uh, swivels, uh, as, uh, as, as Sean said, uh, 90 degrees, and, and, and you wind up with basically a T, you know, kind of a T shape um, with, with the under, with the body of the phone in portrait orientation, uh, and the top screen in a landscape orientation. Uh, I think they have an opportunity, uh, perhaps, to um, to come in significantly under certainly where the uh, where the um, uh, where, where the Galaxy Fold has come in at 2K, and possibly under uh, where the Surface Duo is because there's uh, there's a lot to that Duo hinge and it uses. Yeah some uh some panels that are a little less common in the smartphone world whereas these at least the top uh display seems like kind of a fairly standard smartphone display so we'll we'll have to see where where pricing comes out you know uh they are a uh a volume manufacturer they typically have not had anything close to that price uh, i'm not saying that's you know that means it's going to be seven hundred dollars, but uh, but it may not be up in that stratosphere. We'll, yeah, well, we'll and see. that and that would probably be good for them. Uh, you know, we have just seen two phones now launch 
with multiple screens and and as you just noted one's at uh, fifteen hundred dollars one's at two thousand dollars so we're seeing yeah. pretty high price point for for multi-screen mobile devices uh so we'll, we'll see where they're able to bring that price in at I also think the the kind of the value proposition they're going for on this is is a little different uh, than what Samsung and Microsoft are going for. I mean, Samsung is clearly going for that immersive tablet-like experience that fits in your pocket. And I think Microsoft is going more for this idea of the power of two apps, you know, side by side. Whereas the wing is kind of really more about a little sidecar kind of experience, like some extra space to do some extra controls, uh, a more unfettered experience, uh, not necessarily this idea of an expansive work area. Uh, so um, it's actually, I think in some ways, very much in keeping with uh, its old V series, which was focused on video. You know, they 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 built in a gimbal control. Uh, so there are, I thought, uh, you know, kind of a surprising number of, of applications that you can use this extra bit of screen real estate for. Uh, and I think they did a good job showing that off. But uh, uh, I, I think video is, is capture is, is definitely one of the key ones. So, Well, and you could turn your primary screen into horizontal mode and, and hold it with one hand, essentially. Whereas yes. uh, what we do often when, we're, when we turn our, our devices to horizontal mode is we're holding it with both hands on either side of the device. Now you could hold it with one um, may not be a great sign for those who try to use their devices while they're they're driving, but um, this will presumably make it easier to watch things in in horizontal mode and hold it with one hand. Uh, the, the The fact that they didn't release pricing makes me feel like it is probably going to be on the the higher, higher side. You may be right. Yeah, <laughs> the higher I'll, end of things. I'll tell you that. I mean, one thing that I kind of like about uh, this is that it's very much in keeping with the philosophy uh, that we've seen from them over the past few phones where they have shipped an extra display as kind of an accessory because mm-hmm. I think they are they, they understand that this idea of a second screen or a screen you have to unfold or something like that, sure, there are benefits to it, but it's an extra step, right? And even for those devices, a lot of the time, you're just going to be using it one one-handed in a very traditional way. So if you don't want to take the step of swiveling out the screen, don't do it. You know, and you have right. something that is essentially, you know, today's smartphone experience. Uh, but here you can do it. Uh, so, uh, Sean, I, I think your point plays into what is LG's goal with, with yeah. this line of phones. This is part of a series uh, that they're promoting called the Explorer series. Uh, to me, it seems like a very unusual move coming from a company that has been struggling uh, in terms of market share to launch all these high concept like devices. So are they, you know, just trying to create a portfolio and see what sticks? Uh, are they hoping something is kind of a surprise hit uh, and takes the industry by storm? Are they just trying to generate buzz and excitement? Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's cool to see. Uh, a, a vendor try something new, a brand try something new. Uh, I think they've got an interesting target for this, but um, you well, know, but but it's harder to see this thing, you know, kind of becoming the new de facto form factor. Yeah, I don't think it becomes the de facto form factor unless some use case scenarios that we can't foresee 
emerge. But I, I do think what it says about the world of smartphones today is, is two things. One, the uh, traditional form factor has been around now for uh, for significant Over 10 years. Yeah, for yeah. a significant time period and so uh you know we're lo years. we're looking for something new. I would argue that the the amount of uh in, in our ability to iterate off of that original design is much lower now than it was in the sure. early years where we could add additional cameras and add to, some additional features. We've exhausted those uh that low hanging fruit at the same time as we've been able to extend the display all the way to the edges of the device and as we've been able to make the devices thinner, it gives us greater flexibility in the, the type of experiments that we can do. At the end of the day, we still want this to fit in our pockets. Uh, it, you know, Maybe that won't be the case in the future. If we're always carrying them around, maybe we won't need them to, to fit in our pockets or maybe if we're using glasses, obviously, then uh, and other displays around us, they can get even smaller. But the fact that they've gotten thinner and we've extended the displays is allowing us to then uh, increase, actually, the, the width by adding in additional displays, adding in two displays, you know, adding in some of these, these hinges and, and other technologies. And so um, there's some, th some things there. Obviously, as you, you add in those those hinges and those connectors, you're increasing the cost somewhat, but you're also decreasing the, the durability. You're going to be, mm. uh, you know, flipping that more often, opening it more, bending it, twisting it. And so that will, will put more, uh, more strain on the, on the device. Uh, so while at the same time, it's allowing the manufacturers to probably raise the average selling price of the devices. It's probably also, uh, accomplishing a second goal for smartphone manufacturers, and that's lowering the life cycle of these devices, which has grown long as we've seen the the innovation, uh, it, you know, iteration slow somewhat with with new features being added to the hardware aspect of it. I, I think it just comes down to the marginal utility, right? And and I think the wing, yeah. uh, as I said, I, I really like some of the examples that they gave. Uh, but it's it's not for everyone, and I think that's implied in in putting it in this series of devices. I think that offers LG a bit of protection, perhaps, in case it it doesn't take flight. Uh, <laughs> as, uh, and uh, you know, whereas I think Samsung, for example, is betting huge on yeah. foldables, uh, yeah. and that's just something I can see, you know, filtering down <clears throat> uh, into uh, into very mainstream price points. So we'll see. Yes. Yeah, well, and as the economies to scale improve for sure. Samsung and the yields improve, all of those things will help drive that price point down, which will then drive adoption up. So when do we see multi-screen devices from Apple and, and we've got a, a Pixel event presumably happening on September 30th. Google is hosting their virtual event where we'll get some new Pixel phones and, and it also looks like maybe some additional smart speakers when do we see multi-screen devices from from Google and Apple? Um, I, I think Apple, you know, maybe some time away. Uh, uh, I, you know, certainly not the iPhone 12. Yeah, which we should see in in a couple of weeks. But um, uh, you know, they 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 would bring one good thing to it, which is that they are very good at uh, convincing developers to support their 
their devices and, and changes in the form factors. So uh, as they, you know, maybe we see it in a folding iPad, actually, that could be uh, a good way to differentiate the iPad even more from the MacBook uh, as, uh, as, as those two start to come together a little bit more. Uh, so, um, so if Apple does it, I, I think they would do a good job of it just because they would do a good job of convincing developers to support it fully. So yeah, and and, uh, and I think that's a great point. I mean, Apple does a great job of trying to convince you that there is a use case scenario that makes sense and that requires that new feature of the aspect. Whereas, as we've just discussed, what you're seeing from LG and, and arguably from Samsung is that uh, they're they're betting that some of those use cases will emerge, but they're not necessarily making the compelling case up front or trying to or trying to make the compelling case up front, but they're uh, they're just putting it out there. I, I would argue Microsoft is trying to make the compelling case for a, a dual screen device. They're trying to highlight, uh, as you noted, the productivity possibilities of having multiple apps running on. Uh, adjacent screens and being able yep. to, to see that information. Uh, any thoughts on the announcements that we saw this week from AT&T and Verizon? I, I think the Verizon one is more interesting. Um, you know, uh, their main competitors now, T-Mobile has an established prepaid or, you know, value brand in, in Metro PCS. Uh, AT&T has one in Cricket, you know, which they purchased uh, years ago. Verizon had some stuff out there, visible, they had Yahoo, mobile, uh, but these aren't really as, uh, as prevalent as those other two brands. So, so this actually brings them a portfolio of brands, uh, TrackPhone, Net10, StrayTalk, uh, I think, you know, is, <clears throat> that's one that's, uh, that's exclusive to Walmart. Uh, I think we can expect some culling of those brands, uh, but uh, as uh, I think I saw already that a, a Pretty high percentage of track phone customers were already using uh, Verizon's network, so uh, you know that's uh, that's a, that's a benefit for them. Uh, and so uh, I, I think the the challenge is that I don't think there was as much of a gap uh, between, say, AT and T and Cricket or T Mobile and Metro as there is between Verizon and track phone uh, in in terms of the demographics you're talking about. With Verizon, the most premium priced uh, carrier uh, in the U.S. versus TrackPhone, which is the most uh, aggressively priced uh, carrier in, in the U.S. So, uh, you know, it, it, it brings them back. Uh, I don't know if they have a really lot, but, but it brings them back to number one in terms of overall subscribers. So they get those bragging rights. Uh, they get a portfolio of brands. They get uh, to strengthen their relationship with Walmart. Uh, meanwhile, we're seeing some of these other up-and-coming MBNOs get snapped up as well. Ting, uh, I think, got bought by uh, a Dish uh, a while back. Um, so, you know, we're 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 starting to see, I guess, a, another wave of consolidation in uh, in cellular. Well, it makes a lot of sense, I think, too. Right now, given that we're in the middle of a recession, uh, sure. despite the fact that things are improving. Uh, off what was a very low base, that there is re really not a clear end in sight yet for this recession. It could go on for an extended period of time. You you have some moratoriums in place around things like foreclosures, uh, that uh, as those you know expire if they're not renewed, could uh, put a lot of pressure on 
foreclosures. And so you, you tend to see prepaid plans improve during recessions as people uh, don't want to go without cell phone uh, service for jobs and for other things, but they decide maybe they can't quite continue to carry a, a large monthly bill. The fact that, uh, as you highlighted, that there's a big difference between the traditional Verizon business and, and this track phone is probably a good thing for Verizon because it, it yeah. makes those markets clearly bifurcated. I was just about to say, you know, unlike with Metro and T-Mobile, where there may be some confusion about which one is right for me, um, you're not going to see that so much with Verizon and TrackPhone. No. And TrackPhone becomes, <clears throat> you know, uh, something that they can use to go after uh, Metro and and Cricket uh, a lot more aggressively, even undercut them. I mean, we'll see if, if Verizon keeps uh, pricing that aggressive. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to bring it up a bit um, over, over time. So. Yeah. Yeah. E either way, I think the timing makes sense uh, given, you know, where, where we are in the, the business cycle and the economic cycle. And, uh, you know, maybe there'll be other businesses that kind of emerge out of that prepaid phone, phone world. So, mm -hmm. well, we're definitely in the midst of the, the fall device announcement uh, period. We, we had pricing and availability announcements uh, from Sony today for the, or this week for the PlayStation. We talked about that last week. Uh, inevitably, we'll get more announcements next week. So we invite you to tune in for next week's episode where we'll cover a lot more of what's happening in, in tech. Um, again, thanks for joining this episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubervac. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin.